0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at CGIBurlington.org. So brethren, we are up to chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. And uh, maybe just before we begin in chapter 5, based on Deacon Jan's sermon, how forgetful we are, Uh, Let's just do a quick review or revisit of of what we've learned so far. Um, What is the theme of the book of Hebrews? What would you say the theme of the book is? What's the message? That's right. Brilliant. Christ is greater. And what's the context of this message? Why why is the apostle making this point that Christ is greater? What well, what's the context? You know, sure. Um the group of Jewish uh, Christians who in the context of the Roman Empire being persecuted uh were sliding
1: back into Judaism because of no separate religion and were not
0: prepared to uh stick it out. Perfect, exactly. So they they want to be righteous. They want to continue in the way of truth and true religion without Christ because that would cause persecution. They would be put to death or certainly tortured. So they'll just go back to Judaism, what they knew, and they'll reject Christ. And uh, the apostle here is telling them in no uncertain terms that that behavior is evil and they must continue forward. Now, as the book begins, it opens up saying that God has spoken to uh, God has spoken in many ways, and at various times, to our fathers through the prophets, and then right. But today, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. And then right after that, he goes into this exposition on the angels and how Christ is greater than the angels. What's that all about, Deacon why, why this long treatise on the angels? So the Son is greater than angels, and he's spoken to us this by, by the Son. Very good. And then um, in Hebrews 2, so Hebrews 1.14, he says, speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And then in Hebrews 2, verse 5, he continues on the angels, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And he goes on to show how Christ had to be made lower than the angels. But there's this jarring interruption, verses 1 to 4, where just suddenly he breaks off, talking about the angels, to give a very stern warning. Therefore, because Christ is greater than the angels, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So our fathers heard through the angels what we're hearing from the Son, and we better pay closer attention uh, because it's coming through the Son. Okay, then Chapter 3, and and I apologize, we didn't have a big turnout because of the snowstorm, but I did put it up on the website, so hopefully you had a chance to listen to that. But in Chapter 3, first he compares Christ to the angels and shows that Christ is greater than the angels, And if people disobeyed the message that came through the angels and were punished for that, how much greater the punishment for disobeying Christ. Now in chapter 3, he is now comparing Christ to Moses. So he's looking at the pillars of Judaism. And he's basically saying, yeah, these are great pillars, but Christ is greater. So Moses was faithful. Christ was even more faithful. Moses was a servant in the house. Christ is a son over the house. And then in verse 7, he says to them, Today, if you hear his voice, so he spoke in the past to our fathers through the prophets via the angels, but today he's speaking through his son. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So this is a coded book in the sense that it's a Hebrew speaking to Hebrews and the Hebrews know the scriptures. So all and I'm I'm saying it's Paul. In fact, just very quickly, Hebrews two and verse one. This is why the scholars say Paul didn't. There's two reasons why Paul, the scholars say Paul did not write this book. The, verse is, the first is in Hebrews 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So they're saying, obviously, this isn't Paul. Because Paul got the gospel directly from Christ. So he wouldn't say that it was brought to us by those who heard. And that's ridiculous. The gospel came to the apostles and they brought it to the Jews. It was brought to the Jews. It was brought to Paul. He was among the Jews that received the message. And he, when he received it, rebelled against it. And he persecuted the Christians for it. And then God knocked him down, struck him down, and then he realized it was Christ that was preaching to him. And so he was then recruited to take this message to the Gentiles. But he received the message, just like everybody else, from the apostles. But because traditional Christianity has forgotten that the church is rooted in Judaism, the the Christianity that we see today is a Greek Christianity that has nothing to do with the true church. It was hijacked by the church fathers who were Greek philosophers. And so they've forgotten the Hebraic roots of the church. And if they understood that, they would know that Paul was a Hebrew that the gospel was brought to. When he received it, he then took it to the Gentiles. So this does not prove that it was not Paul. And then the other reason they say it was not Paul is the Greek in this book is superior to any Greek anywhere in the Bible. This, this is a very advanced Greek. And they're saying with his other letters, that it, it doesn't match. His other letters are more of a simplistic writing. This is very advanced writing. And again, I think that's easily explained to say that Hebrew people have always been highly educated. They take education very seriously. Even to this day, you go to any Jewish community, education is taken very seriously. So when a Hebrew is writing to Hebrews, even though he 's writing in Greek, they, these are Hellenized Greeks or sorry Hellenized Jews in the diaspora, he can write with very advanced language because he 's writing to an educated audience. so these two major reasons why the scholars say it's not Paul, they don't stand up they don't and The stinging rebuke that is in this letter to the Jewish Christians, there is no way a Gentile could write like this. And in fact, the depth of knowledge that the the author has of the Hebrew religion, there's no way a recent convert could get this level of depth and be able to communicate to Hebrews. So it's clearly the Hebrew of the Hebrews writing to the Hebrews. And I will... uh, you know, the author does not identify himself, and Deacon Dan gave us good reason why he wouldn't, until the end. And the, the scholars, in fact, say the last chapter does seem very Pauline. It does sound like Paul at the end. But uh, he doesn't identify himself, so we cannot categorically say it is the Apostle Paul, but I'm saying it's the Apostle Paul. Based on my study, it can't be anybody else. So if you disagree, forgive me as I say the Apostle Paul, but uh, 99% certain it is him. So Hebrews 3 now, he says to them, today, if you hear his voice, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. He's speaking to us through his son. And if you hear his son speaking, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is like, whoa. He started out complimenting us, telling us we're special. God has spoken to our fathers. There are all kinds of people on the planet But God has only spoken to our fathers We're special. And now he's saying our fathers were rebels. Yes, God spoke to them, but they rebelled. And every time God sent servants to them, they persecuted those servants. So are you going to be like your fathers? That's what he's saying here. So then he gives them this to show in verse nine. The day of testing in the world in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test. And then in verse 10. They always go astray in their heart. The problem with the Hebrews is their heart. And it's not the Hebrews specifically. It's mankind. If, if the gospel came to the Africans, we'd be talking about the evil African heart. It came to the Hebrews. And so we're talking about the evil Hebrew heart. And he says, they always go astray in, my, in their hearts. And verse 12. So you take care, my fellow believers, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Don't fool yourself. Going to the temple next door and doing the sacrifices and looking righteous, if you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you reject it and go to the temple next door, you're being evil. You are backsliding. And you can try to rationalize what you're doing, but it's a despicable thing that you're doing to reject Jesus Christ. So therefore, verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. And then he goes into in in chapter four, the Sabbath rest. And to show that we have to strive to enter at verse 11. And this book of Hebrews, it gives traditional Christianity all kinds of problems. Because that version of Christianity is not rooted in Judaism. Which is where Christ was a Jew. And here it's saying, let us therefore strive. Let us work. Let us labor. Traditional Christianity would like to say we've got nothing to do. Christ did it all. We don't have any works. But here it's saying we have to work to enter the rest. We have to strive to enter the rest. So that none of us may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And this is the problem that traditional Christianity has with this book. Since the Protestant movement, it was understood grace alone, faith alone. We don't need works. So the Catholic Church was saying you've got to do all these different penances, etc. And Martin Luther came and read the Bible and said no. Faith alone. So Works are not required for salvation. Salvation is a gift. Therefore, the reasoning says this. If you cannot work for your salvation, therefore, you cannot work to lose your salvation. So there's nothing you can do to receive salvation, and there's nothing you can do to lose salvation, because it's not of works. It's a gift. When they take this doctrine and try to read this book, it turns them upside down. Because the book is saying there is something you can do and you will lose your salvation. And so you better take heed and be careful. And so they try to reason around this book uh, and and say here that basically the the way that they approach it is to say that the apostle is speaking to two different audiences. It's a congregation, but it's made up of believers and non-believers. And whenever he is giving a warning that is sharp and saying, you're going to lose your salvation at those times, he's speaking to the unbelievers because they're going straight to hell. But when he gives a warning to say, you're going to be punished at those times, he's talking to believers because a Christian can be disobedient, but they can never lose their salvation. So the worst that can happen to them is they'll be punished. And it just it makes the letter very confusing. When we take this once saved, always saved mindset, we have to read it in its simplicity. This is a Hebrew speaking to Hebrews. It's a Hebrew community. And he's saying, don't be like your fathers. Don't reject Christ. Strive to enter that rest. And there's work to do to enter the rest. So, so basically what we're saying here is salvation is a gift. That we're here. There's nothing that we did to get here. It's just the gift of God. However, there are conditions that go with the gift. You cannot take this gift and do whatever you want, whenever you want, and think that God is obligated to bring you into his kingdom. Does it make sense? You see, the once saved, always saved doctrine. We can't just take that and bring it into the church. It's a system. It's part of a system of doctrines. The Trinity, hell, heaven, once saved, always saved, born again. All of these doctrines coalesce and they make sense together. You can't take one of them and put them over here in the church where we believe in the kingdom of God on earth. That we will be kings and priests teaching the law to mankind. How could it be that I do whatever I want, whenever I want, I reject God's law and God has to bring me into his kingdom to tell other people to obey the law when I never obeyed it. It doesn't make any sense. So we have to strive now to enter this rest. Let's begin in Hebrews 4 and verse 14, which is where we left. We left off at verse 13. And maybe just before I begin with 14, any comments or questions on the summary one to four so far? And I know we did have question about once saved, always saved. I don't know if I've answered it for you. Yeah, and I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but the concept is that salvation is a gift that can never be revoked. So once God extends this gift of salvation to you, it's yours for eternity. And there's nothing that anyone can do or you can do to lose this gift. God will never take it away. So once you confess Christ, that's it. You're in forever. If somebody falls away then the reasoning is obviously they were not a true believer, that they're going to be condemned to hell. And anybody who doesn't accept Christ is condemned to hell. So if you say you accept Christ, maybe you think you do and you're in the congregation, but you're not really a true believer. So in the congregation, there are believers and there are people who think they're believers, but eventually they'll fall away and go to hell. That's works. That's works. It's completely unnecessary. Yes, you can do those things, but that's not necessary. All that's necessary is that you accept Christ and you confess him. And then that's it. The baptism, all that is nice, but it's not necessary.
2: You're talking about that from the perspective
0: of Correct. That's right. Yeah. Does that answer? Yeah. Okay. All right, Hebrews 4.14. Um, we stopped here because we're introducing a new subject now, which is Christ as high priest. So, so we went through the angels, we went through Moses, and then we went into the wilderness, and then we went into the Sabbath rest. And now we start with the high priest. Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens so, this high priest, unlike the earthly high priests who basically passed through the tabernacle or the temple to get to the most holy place, this high priest has passed through the heavens to get to the, the true most holy place. Jesus, the Son of God, because we have this high priest, let us, and throughout this letter you're going to hear these words, let us. It's a community. And and one thing we're learning here in Burlington is we are a community. And salvation is communal. It's not individual. This individualistic mindset is a modern phenomenon. We have to have this view of ourselves as a community. And let us work together. Let us exhort one another. Let us work together. Let us hold fast our confession. We confess that we believe in Jesus Christ. Now in the face of persecution... Let us hold fast this confession. Let's not go backward. So he mentions now for the third time that Christ is high priest, but he's never explained himself. He just kind of dropped it. Uh, And I understand this is a a rabbinical method where you sort of drop some seeds and then you come back and you you, uh, develop them. So he's dropped this seed that Christ is high priest and now he's going to develop it. Because this is challenging to the Hebrews they're listening to him and saying, Christ is high priest. Okay, we know he's king. He is, he's said to be king. And the king comes through the line of Judah. But how can he be high priest? There's no prophecy that says that the high priest descends from Judah. We know the high priest has to come through Levi. And more specifically through Aaron. That, that's the, the line for the high priest. So he has to explain himself now. And he begins to do this. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. So the Hebrews are being tested. This is a severe persecution that's coming on them. And the apostle is saying... Christ went through the same thing. Exactly the same way that you're being tested now and you're buckling under the pressure, Christ went through the same thing. And he's our high priest. So we can appeal to him. And this word tempted is the Greek word paratzo, and it means to make proof of, to put to the proof, or to try. So I think we read it and think of temptation, which is kind of the same thing, but it's more to test. And we have to think of this in the context of Persecution. Their, their lives are being threatened. Verse 16. Let us, and again, let us as a community. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So because we have this high priest, we can now come to the throne of grace with confidence. The Hebrews understand exactly what he's saying. We don't. Because... Our Christianity comes from Greek philosophers, traditional Christianity, and we're trying to understand the the Hebraic foundation of this religion. But let's go to Leviticus 9 to have the Hebrew perspective of what it means to draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. Leviticus 9 And verse 22, then Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering. So this is Aaron, the high priest doing the sin offering for the people and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. And the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it. They shouted. And fell on their faces. Our God is a consuming fire. And so they, the high priest puts out the offering. And fire is sent down. And it consumes the offering. Verse ten, or Chapter 10 verse 1. Now Nadab and Ebihu. The sons of Aaron. Each took his censer. And put fire in it. And laid incense on it. And offered unauthorized fire, they're drawing near to the throne, but it's unauthorized, before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This is what happens when you come before the throne of God unauthorized. And this is what the sons of the high priest were doing. Maybe it was an ego thing, they wanted to kind of be special in front of the people, who knows. Who knows? Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. He lost his two sons, and he just accepted it. You do not approach the throne of God unauthorized and in a careless manner. There's a specific way that God dwells with man. And that's why he raised up Aaron as the high priest and gave very specific ways of how to approach the throne. But here he's saying Christ is our high priest. He's passed through the heavens. The veil has been torn. We have access to God, direct access through Christ. And we can draw near with confidence. We don't have to be afraid to draw near the throne. And the Hebrews would understand this. Back to Hebrews 5. And sorry, whenever we leave Hebrews 5, please keep your finger there because we'll, we'll uh, keep coming back to it. Hebrews 5 and verse 1. So we're going to draw near with confidence and so that we can receive the, the grace and the mercy that we need to help us in time of need. Verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. And again, he made this argument earlier the Messiah had to come as a man because he's leading many men to glory. He couldn't come as an angel. He had to come as a man, lower than an angel, in order to redeem man. So now he's saying every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. That's the role of the high priest. He's chosen among men to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So he said earlier, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest. So the apostle is one sent. That's God sending a message to man. But the high priest is one who represents man to God. So this, it's this two-way communication with Christ. He's the apostle. He sends the message. But he's also our high priest. And he represents us to God. To acting on our behalf in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So the Aaron was the high priest, but he's the same Aaron that made the golden calves and had to repent of that. And now he's set up as the high priest to go to God and represent the nation. And he knows he himself is weak. So when the when the people come to him for forgiveness and to do sacrifices for them, he has to be compassionate. Because he himself is, is weak. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So again, with the Hebrew ears, what they're hearing is the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. This is the special day of the year when the whole nation has a, is atoned for. Through the high priest. But before the high priest can do this. He first has to offer sacrifices for his own sins. To become uh, clear himself. And then he can represent the nation. So this is what it's saying here. He ha- he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Just as he does for those of the people. And look, look at verse, uh, verse 4. This is interesting. He's talking about the, high, the office of the high priest. No one takes this honor for himself. And we saw that with the the sons of Aaron, Abihu, and Nad, I forget his name, Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, you don't just take this office and go to God; you get struck down. So nobody just takes this this office for himself, but only when called by God. Just as Aaron was, and again, this is a coded message, Hebrew to Hebrew. When I tell you that. Nobody takes this office to themselves that it's by appointment, just how it happened with Aaron. As Hebrews, you know exactly what I'm saying. Since we're Gentiles and we don't have this Judaic background, let's just take a quick look at the context and hold your place in Hebrews 5. And let's go to Exodus 28. Exodus 28 and verse 1. God speaking to Moses. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. They didn't choose themselves. God chose them. So Moses, get Aaron, get his sons and bring them to me and they will serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ethamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So Aaron is being set up here among the people as a special person. When you look at how everyone else is dressed and you look at Aaron, it's spectacular. Well, this glory that's being put on Aaron. Aaron didn't say, I've got a great idea, Moses. I'm your brother. Why don't you let me be high priest? And, you know, me and you, what kind of rule over the people? It wasn't his idea at all God said set him aside and his sons and make these special garments for him so that he is glorious and for beauty you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood and again if we think of this if we look at this individualistically we can get jealous how come he gets to be high priest and I don't? If we see ourselves as a community, oh, that's his role in the community. It's for us. The high priest is for us. Get the most skillful people that I have filled with a spirit of skill and let them make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. And he goes through and he gives him the instructions then as to how... Aaron should be set up and glorified with these garments. Now, keep your place in Hebrews 5, but now go to Numbers 16. 16 and verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi... So he's in the Levitical line. And Dethan and Eberam, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, and sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up, it says before Moses, say against Moses, with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation. These are our heads in the congregation. Chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, "You have gone. Look, you've gone too far. You know, you know, this latest designer outfit that we see Aaron wearing, okay, we've had it. This is too much. You've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Aaron didn't exalt himself. No man takes this office to himself. It's the Lord who chose Aaron and gave the instructions to glorify him so that he could represent the people. Aaron was to be a blessing for the people. Korah and these chief people are looking at it and saying, Whoa, uh, we don't like this. We're special. We're leaders. You're putting him over us? This isn't good. We're all holy, we're all elders. And Moses said, Hereby, you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all the works that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, if they just die a natural death, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And then verse 31. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. And then verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And uh, God was then going to destroy the nation, and Moses appealed to him to save them. So back to Hebrews 5. This is the context that the Hebrews would understand when Paul says to them, no man takes dishonor by himself. God appoints him. Just as Aaron was appointed. And yet when Aaron was appointed high priest, look at the rebellion. And now he says in verse five, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. So you have a decision to make. Are you going to be like your fathers who, when Aaron was appointed high priest, rebelled against him? And now Christ is appointed high priest. How are you going to react? But was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, these are Hebrews. Um, Verse five of Hebrews five. These are Hebrews. So when the apostle says to them. Christ didn't exalt himself. He was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Hebrew. They know exactly where this is coming from. He doesn't have to quote the whole context. They know it. We don't. Let's just take a quick look. Finger in Hebrews 5. Let's pop over to Psalm 2. And Pastor Murray, uh, I'm going to go till 4 o'clock. Is that all right? 3 to 4? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Psalm 2, and beginning in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So they understand. This was David writing this, thinking that it's uh, writing of his son. But now they're seeing it's Christ. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So they understand. Oh the son. Is someone who's going to conquer the whole world. Every king. Every leader will be conquered. By the son. So he's a high priest. By the same one who said today. I have begotten you. You are my son. So now therefore verse 10 O kings be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. So now they're putting two and two together and saying, wow, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Hebrews, you have a choice. You can go backward and reject Christ or you can trust in him as your high priest. And take refuge in him, because he's not only high priest, he's king, king of kings, coming to rule the whole world. Back to Hebrews 5. So he's appointed high priest by him who said, You're my, today you, uh, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And verse 6, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. And now he's answering the question. This is what's puzzling them. How can you say he's a priest? He's, he's in the line of Judah. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, yeah. Melchizedek. So where does he say this? Psalm 110. And again, the apostle doesn't have to give them the content. They've memorized these scriptures. They just hear one piece and they've got the whole context. So we, we don't, though. We have to go and look this up. Psalm 110 And verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And he told them that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Until I make your enemies your footstool. So Hebrews, you have a choice. Be faithful to Christ, trust in him, or reject him and be his enemy. And if you're going to be his enemy, you're going to be his footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. This is God speaking. He has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. So as an Aaronic priest. You're a priest for your lifetime. When you die, then we look at your son and we make him the high priest. And when he dies, then we make the next one. So they have a lifetime. This priest is forever. That means that he's our high priest now. And a thousand years from now, he will still be our high priest. And a billion years from now, he will still be our high priest. And ten billion years from now, whatever's happening, he will still be our high priest. This is not the Aaronic line. This is a different order. It's the Melchizedekian order. And now they're thinking, that's in the scripture. Yes, there's, a, there's an Aaronic order, but there's also a Melchizedekian order. Verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations so, yes, we're being persecuted now by the Romans. But look at this. This king will execute judgment among the nations. This is, just, this is a temporary hiccup. But this Roman emperor will be brought down by this high priest and king, filling them with courses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Back to Hebrews 5. And maybe just before we carry on, um, any comments or questions or contributions? Yes, Brother Larry. Very good. Yeah. God is a great king. We have to be careful about how we approach his throne. Very good. Very good. Other thoughts? Comments? Okay. Verse 7. Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So, so the problem initially the Jews were having is that he wasn't great. He was weak. It wasn't like an angel coming with all the power and glory. He came as a man and he was crucified. You know, we're not so sure about Jesus anymore. And what he's saying is, as the high priest, this was absolutely necessary. He had to be sacrificed and he had to be the perfect sacrifice. So in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. So you Jews are thinking of abdicating, reneging on your confession. And what you should be doing is considering Jesus and looking at what he did. He faced the same temptation, the same, very same trial. And what he did was he offered up um, prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And now you have a high priest who understands exactly what you're going through. Why don't you do the same? And he was heard because of his reverence or because of his obedience. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And this is the same with us. We must learn through suffering. When we suffer, we're not getting our way. I'm homeless at the moment. This is not my preference. This is not my choice. But if if we can learn to accept trials graciously, We're in God's hands. Whatever he has for us, there's a song there, it's well with my soul. I know not whether ill, I forget the exact lyrics. But whatever God has in store for me, I'll accept it. And that's what we have to learn. Disobedience. Not my will, Lord, but yours. And that's what Christ, it's not that, so it says here, verse 9. And being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And it's not that he was not perfect. This word perfect is teleo, and it means to execute fully, to reach the end of, to consummate, to place in a condition of finality. So, as our high priest, he had to go through this suffering and go through it all the way to complete the process and be the perfect high priest. So before the, if he didn't do this, he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice or the perfect high priest. And then it says here, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Works is a part of salvation. Salvation is a free gift, but there are conditions. And one of the conditions is obedience. We have to obey Christ. It's not that I get this free gift and I can I can spit in Christ's face. And say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm allowed to do that. I'm a Christian. Just what uh, Brother Larry was saying. Oh, I'll, I'll do it. A str- I'll offer strange fire. Why? Because I'm a Christian. We have to obey him. Verse 10. Being designated by God a high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. And this is profound. Now they're getting it. Oh, okay. There's a different order. There's an earthly order, and there's a heavenly order, and this is after the heavenly order because it's forever. Verse 11. Now the apostle says this about this this Melchizedekian order, about this order, because you're you're really caught up on the Aaronic order. That's what you're. They're very careful, and you'll know. Remember when um, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem? And he took the genealogy and he found people in the office of the priests that were not descended from Levi. Or Aaron, And he immediately ejected them as something foul. They were very, very careful about lineage and the high priesthood. And so now he's, he wants to explain this Melchizedekian order to them. And he says about this, we have much to say. There's, there's a whole Sermon and sermon and sermon I could give you on this Melchizedek. This is profound stuff. And I've got a lot to say about it. And, and it's, it's hard to explain. This, this is advanced stuff. It's kind of hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. Ouch. Ouch. God has spoken in many ways. And at various times to our fathers through the prophets. But has in these last days spoken to us through his son. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And I've got a lot I want to teach you. But your hearing is dull. You're not listening. Wow. You're worse than your fathers. All those rebels, the the, the rebellion, you're worse. Because they were listening to angels, they were listening to prophets, they were listening to Moses. You're listening to the Son of God, and you've you've grown dull of hearing. This and let's just quickly go. Actually, this, uh, this the Greek. This um, phrase, "Since you have become dull of hearing," the Greek says, "Epe throi gaganate, tase akot." Ako, a akois. akois. And what this is actually saying, if the, the way I would translate this Greek, is this. Because you're lazy, you've become among those who can't hear. It's because of your slothfulness, because of your neglect, because of your laziness, your hearing has grown dull. And that word hearing means obedience. It's what um, Deacon Jan was talking about. It's not just you hear a good message. Oh, that was a great sermon. What was it about? I don't remember. It's not just that. You don't remember because you weren't applying it. It's, it's hear and do. That's what hearing means. Ezekiel 33. Hold your place in, in Hebrews 5, please. Ezekiel 33. And beginning in verse 30, also, you son of man, the children of your people still are talking about you, in the by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone to his brother saying, come, I pray you, please come and hear what is the word that comes from the Lord. This is amazing. We are hearing his voice. God is speaking to us. Come and hear it. And they come unto you as the people come. And they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goes after their covetousness. And lo, you are unto them as a lovely song of one that has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. You're such a good speaker. That was such a great sermon, Deacon Jan. I love the way you constructed it. It was artistic. Can you do another one next week? It was wonderful. We really enjoyed it. It was like art. And we were entertained. And we know it was the word of the Lord. We We know that it was inspired. And we loved it. We're not going to do anything about it. But we'll come back next week to hear another one. And you are unto them as a lovely song of one that has a pleasant voice. And can play well on an instrument for they hear your words, but they do them not. They hear your words, but they do them not. Back to Hebrews five. So he says here, the translator says, since you have become dull of hearing, I think a better translation would be because you're lazy. You've become among those who cannot hear. We have to apply God's word to deepen our understanding. It's by doing that God gives us more insight. In fact, Brother Larry was talking to us earlier and saying, God gives you a bit of truth, sees what you do with it. And if you actually do something with it, he gives you more. And if you don't do anything with it, he withholds. So he's seeing, what are you going to do with it? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I can't give you more because you're not doing The basics, if if you would apply God's word, you would be ready to receive more. But you're you're not. And in fact, he said to them earlier, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And that's what was happening to them. They were drifting away because they were neglecting it. We, We should be obsessed with God's word. God has spoken to us. And yes, we have to do all of our other duties. But it, you don't force me to do my study. I, I love to do my study. This is God speaking to us. And, and how will we escape if we neglect this salvation? Verse 12. For though by this time. So these Hebrew believers have been at this for a while. And he's saying by this time you ought to. To be teachers and this word ought it means you're obligated you have an obligation to be a teacher by now all kinds of Gentiles coming in you should be teaching them you ought to be teachers but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God I want to teach you about the Melchizedekian order and I can't because you need the basics and you've been at this for a while so obviously you're listening but you're not doing anything you're like oh that was a lovely song oh come oh you got to hear this this is really good but you're not doing anything because if you were doing something with it you would mature and i could now give you strong meat you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of god you know if i'm the apostle pauling and i say you know I'm going to bring in a Gentile from one of my Gentile churches to come and teach you guys. And you should be teaching them. You need milk, not solid food. Imagine if, so Ryan just graduated from the youth program. Imagine if when it's time for potluck now, we all go downstairs and everybody's getting their meal. And Ryan has to get a baby bottle full of milk. And at 19 years old, we're all sitting fellowshipping, and Ryan's drinking milk from a baby bottle. You know, would somebody say, like, something's wrong? By 19, you should be able to handle steak, which he does very well, by the way. (laughs) So we have to mature. We can't come into the church and think it's okay a year from now to be where we are now. It's okay to be where we are now, and it's the same place we were last year. We are under obligation. And again, this is back to this once-saved, always-saved doctrine. I can do whatever I like, because when I die, I go to heaven and I play a harp. And that's not too difficult. And we're saying that's not the truth. The truth is, when I die, or when Christ returns and I'm changed, I'm going to become a teacher. And I have to teach the nuanced law of God to people all over the world. And so I have to, I'm, I'm under obligation to become a teacher, as you are. We are under obligation to grow and mature. We can't be in the church drinking from a baby bottle. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, look, listen to this, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in what the word of what righteousness you are not putting what you're hearing into practice so you're just it's just academic to you you don't actually understand what it is to apply god's word the word of righteousness if you did you would have matured solid food Sorry, unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. I can tell you, and and just from my experience in the church, I can tell you how evil I am. I can tell you that. I, I understand how evil my heart is. How do I understand it? Because I've tried to apply the word of righteousness. And it's very difficult. And it's, it's a two edged sword. And it cuts between separating soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And it says, Adrian, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I'm like, now what? christ so i understand how evil i am but i understand how great christ is and that he's my high priest but i'm applying i'm trying i'm trying and so i can discern i understand evil and i understand good why because god has given me the privilege of applying his word and same with you but if we just listen and we don't apply it to ourselves i could sit here in judgment of everybody that's not going to give me power of discernment the real understanding of good and evil is when we examine ourselves. I don't know what's going on inside of you, but I know what's going on inside of me. This is where I get perception. Now I understand the contradiction between the heart of man and the word of God because I'm examining myself. I would never get this depth of understanding if I sit around just judging Lisa all day. I have no idea what's going on with Lisa. If, if I judge Lisa... It's probably I'm just seeing myself. The problems that I have, I'm projecting them onto Lisa. So we have to apply this word to ourselves, this word of righteousness. And that's how we have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter six, we'll just uh, finish the thought here. Actually, just before I finish that, any, any thoughts or comments then? Yes, Brother Ray. Yes, I would I would exactly that plus. So I'd say that plus because you have knowledge without obedience. There's a limit to the amount of knowledge you can have. It's it's like we can't give you the real knowledge because there's no foundation. So, So yes, I would agree. Yeah.
1: Yes, soon. yes. And, uh, in that respect, uh, you know, that, that's the order of the kibble, my, my in, 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 uh, in that time. And uh, I want to be the priesthood of Aaron in the physical aspect. Yes. Yes. The, of the spiritual
0: Correct. Absolutely.
1: And Absolutely. And,
0: you know, right on. And in fact, what we're going to see is the whole pattern of the the tabernacle and the temple. It's actually a, a reflection of the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple. And we have the Aaronic priest working in the physical temple. But we have the Melchizedekian priest in heaven going into the Holy of Holies. And that's the heavenly priesthood. That's right. That's right. Everything points to Christ. That's correct. The, the
2: point that's being made here is that knowledge of, of God and, and spiritual knowledge is a, is a graduate thing. It builds on, on Correct.
0: And correct.
2: Like, you know, if you can't pass grade two, and three, God, you're not going to have any, any success at grade four. Correct. And you're just, You're, you're going to be floundering.
0: Which is exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. They're at a point now where they're ready to give up. When if they had had mastered grade three, there's no way they'd go into grade four saying, you know what, that was a waste of time. Yeah, right on. And God
2: doesn't take us beyond our abilities or our knowledge. That's right.
0: That's right. Very good. So thank you. Uh, It is four o'clock, so I will stop here. And it's a it's a break. I don't like to stop necessarily at the chapter breaks because that's not necessarily the thought break. Uh, And and this is in the middle of a thought. But we will stop here since it is four. Um, Let's work this together. So I'm not up here. The teacher. Right. I'm up here. I'm studying like you. And so I'm going to see some things. You're going to see some things. Thank you for the contributions. Let's learn from each other. And uh, we'll, we'll continue with Chapter 6 next time. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.